If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit Cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. That's why I try to simplify the way and explain it as simply as possible because obviously not everyone is aware of what's going on in vertical farms. Not everyone understands LEDs or nutrients or pH or whatever it is. So I try to make it as simple as possible and at the end of the day, facilitate the understanding of the news. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 8, regular listeners, welcome back. You are the lifeblood of this podcast. You are the heart and soul of this podcast. I want to take a few seconds to acknowledge you as we wrap up Season 8 how much I appreciate anyone that's been a part of this journey, whether it's been from day one, just stumbling upon this show way back in March of 2020, or we recently connected at a recent conference, or you're a regular listener like Casey, hey Casey, (laughs) or Kaylee Marr, who had the pleasure of saying hi to at Indoor Ag Tech NYC. Nothing lights me up more than to connect with listeners in real time and through the reviews you've been leaving. It's been an amazing journey so far, and we are showing no signs of slowing down. So again, anyone who's contributed to the success of the show, I really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I'm sending you a big virtual hug and a big real hug when we meet in person. If you are brand new to the show and you're wondering why I'm so effusive with the love I have for my listeners and my fans, it's because... That's how we roll here. (laughs) I'm glad you've discovered the show. Maybe it's because of this week's guest who is very popular in this industry and I can't wait to share his story. Or someone referred you to the show or you heard about it or maybe you just Googled Vertical Farming Podcast. And obviously it's no surprise that you found this show. It was all intentional and I really welcome you and I hope you stick around for future episodes. In case you missed the last episode, Last couple of episodes, we did a two-parter a week ago in advance of my appearance at Indoor Ag Tech NYC. And just a quick shout out to the team at Indoor Ag Tech NYC. Thank you for putting on such a professionally run event. I had a fantastic time. It was so great to run into old friends, new friends. And I really appreciate the support you've provided for this podcast. And I look forward to partnering with you again in the future. That event was a blast. And I got to meet so many amazing folks and learn about all the different things that are happening in the space, all the exciting things that are happening. And you'll be hearing more about the people that I've met there, new people, old faces and new faces alike. So those last two episodes were with Kiana Mickey. She's the director of urban agriculture for New York City. And that was a real highlight for me as a New Yorker at heart to be able to connect with the mayor's office and have a conversation about all the exciting things that are happening in this space. And that wouldn't have been possible without this show. So again, Regular listeners will know that I've said this before. I'm so grateful for the opportunities awarded to me by podcasting. And it all started for my first show in 2014, Podcast Junkies. So if you have an interest in stories about podcasting in the same way I tell stories about vertical farming companies, you might want to check that out, podcastjunkies.com. I also spoke with Nona Yehia. She is a return guest as well. Round two was absolutely amazing. Her energy, her enthusiasm, her passion for this industry off the charts, and I'm glad we got an ability to connect a little bit after the show as well. Had a big hug for her as well. I'm so excited for the work they're doing in this space. And if you haven't checked them out, they've got a fantastic new farm sprouting up in Maine. So make sure you check the podcast episode and you check their website for more details. Okay, I couldn't think of a better guest for wrapping up season eight of this show than my friend, Sepper. Ashard, he is the CEO of iGrow News. Special shout out to Herb, the original founder of iGrow News, who I've had the pleasure of speaking to many years ago. I consider him one of the early 
pioneers in the space. And I'm so glad he's partnered with Sepper to increase the reach and the visibility of iGrow News. As I mentioned at the conference, I got to connect with Sepper in person, and he was definitely busy meeting a lot of the folks in the space, touring some of the farms in the space as well. And I'm glad he and I got a chance to meet face-to-face, and it's exciting to see all the work that they're doing. He has a fantastic story, how he started in finance and now ended up in the world of vertical farming. That would seem to be a far cry from where he started, but it's clear that he had the wherewithal to understand the opportunity in this space and what he could add with his skill set. We have a great conversation about the challenges of reporting on vertical farming, the origin story of iGrow News, the challenges of differentiating in vertical farming and expanding into new markets, and we dive into the current innovations in ag tech, as well as some of the interesting opportunities that have presented themselves from attending conferences such as the one we were at. So excited to share some insights into someone who's at the forefront of what's happening in this space and doing their best to make sure we tell all the stories, the good and the bad, as I know there's been some ups and downs in this space. And having the skill set to report those with an unbiased eye is really something to be respected. I know you're going to love this conversation. I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to one of the earliest guests on this podcast, Rob Lang, CEO of Farm One. Many of you listening will know the journey that Rob's been on, how he came precipitously close to closing down the farm, and thankfully at the last minute, he was able to find a partner to get the farm restarted. It was definitely a challenge to coordinate, but I did finally make it to my first vertical farm. I know that's going to be a surprise to many of you listening, but having started this during COVID and with the challenges and travel those first couple of years, and then just getting my feet wet with the conferences... I had been looking for an opportunity to do just that, and I'm grateful to Rob for coordinating that. So I took the subway down to Brooklyn with a couple of other folks and got a peek into some of the amazing crops Rob and his team are growing there. It's really fantastic when you sample some of those edible flowers and herbs at the flavor that they pack in such a small size. And it was really eye-opening and palate-opening as well. So kudos once again to Rob and wishing them all the success in the world. We're looking to schedule some time for him to come back on and share that wonderfully inspiring story. If you have been enjoying any of these episodes, if you are new to the show and you find out by the time you get to the end of it that you've enjoyed this one, it's very easy to show your love. Simply head on over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. There's many of you that have been listening that have been fans of the show and have not left that rating. I'm ready to read some of these out on a future episode, and I will give you a super big shout out when I do. So please get that in there, ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Remember, if you're listening to this episode for the first time, that there's so much information here that you may feel the urge to pull out your notebook and jot down notes. Don't worry about that. We're conscious of all the information that's listed here, especially the resources from our guests All those will be available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com, and you can read the full show notes there so you can stay focused on this content. Don't forget to check out our other resources we've been creating for this industry, Vertical Farming Weekly, which is our weekly newsletter where you'll get notified when new episodes go live, verticalfarmingweekly.com. And our newest site, cea.events, if you are in the industry of controlled environment agriculture and you have an event coming up, please take some time to post your event there. It's free to post. We want to spread the word about all the amazing events that are coming up, whether it's a conference, a webinar, in person or virtual, make sure you list it there, cea.events. We're cooking up some very interesting projects that I can't wait to share with you. And as we wrap up season eight, another reminder, if you are listening and you've been enjoying this content, if you are in marketing, in controlled environment agriculture, in ag tech, then I want to partner with you. We have openings available for season nine. We have a ton of episodes already recorded for season nine. Some amazing conversations I can't wait to share with you. But we're in the process of making sure we secure a new round of sponsors. I want to get some additional voices highlighted. I'm eternally grateful for all the folks that have been sponsoring this show up until this point. Cultivated, Freight Farms, NetLed, Indoor AgCon, Indoor AgTech NYC, Series Greenhouse Solutions, Ounce of Hope, CEA Summit, Vertifarm, and Horty AgriNext MEA. Totally grateful for those partnerships, and I'm looking to partner with some new companies for this season. So again, if you feel like this would be a fit for your marketing plan, reach out, harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. 
Okay, excited to dive into this episode with Sepper, but before we do, here are a few words from the amazing folks that support this show. I'm excited to introduce our latest sponsor, Ounce of Hope, an aquaponics cannabis company. Ounce of Hope utilizes aquaponics to cultivate cannabis and seafood livestock. They also perform their own extraction and product formulation in the heart of Memphis, Tennessee. While managing 5,000 gallons of koi and tilapia, Ounce of Hope's system allows for abundant production of fish poop nutrients, which you can now buy online. This product is concentrated plant food for any size garden. Fish poop is free of emulsions, bad smells, and won't burn your plants. Ounce of Hope is giving Vertical Farming Podcast listeners 50% off their first order. So swim on over to ounceofhope.com to experience the aquaponic side of cannabis and use promo code FISHPOOP. How fun is that? Mark your calendars for the CEA Summit East in Danville, Virginia from September 19th to the 20th, 2023. This two-day event, co-hosted by Indoor AgCon and the Virginia Tech IALR Controlled Environment Agriculture Innovation Center, brings businesses and academia together to help you grow your business. Immerse yourself in a full lineup of research showcases, panel discussions, and keynotes featuring top experts, grower operators, and other thought leaders. Explore the latest CEA innovations from tabletop exhibitors. Enjoy quality networking opportunities. Don't miss this unique opportunity to attend a conference at a research facility where you can get a first-hand look at cutting-edge research projects happening right now and explore ideas for collaboration with Virginia Tech and IALR researchers as well. Vertical Farming Podcast listeners can save 10% off the standard passes with code VFP. Visit ceasummit.com for more details and to register. All right. So Sepper Ashar, CEO of iGrow News, thank you so much for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thank you very much, Harry. It's an honor to be here. So you also go by SEP. So we might use SEP during this conversation as well. Where are you calling in from? Where's home for you? Well, home. Right now I'm in France. But I do okay. travel around the world, so pretty much the world is my home. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you grow up? I grew up, I was born in France, then quickly moved to Dubai, Abu Dhabi as well, where mm-hmm. I lived okay. pretty much 17 years before moving to England, mm-hmm. where I studied there. And okay. then, yeah, since the pandemic, I'm moving around. From places to places. What's been your favorite place to live in? What city? What's one of your favorite cities? That's a good question. (laughs) There's so many good cities where I have good memories as well. But I would say Abu Dhabi because I've lived like 10 years over there. It's kind of like my... Yeah, it's where I have a couple of friends. It's where I lived, where I have a lot of souvenirs as well. So... I think you may have seen or heard me mention that because of the partnership with Cultivated, I was able to go to Dubai in October last year. It looks like we're going to be returning again this year. So it was my first experience in that part of the world. And I I think for anyone going to somewhere brand new like that, it's a little bit of a shock, (laughs) but also like an education, especially as it relates to vertical farming, you know, in terms of how much of their food gets imported, I think the number like 95%, it's, it's a big number. So what is it about that region that had you know that let, where you decided to spend a, a good portion of your time there? You know, what is it that people don't know about that region, or, or that you really like and appreciate? Well, I mean, at the time where I lived there, I just followed my parents because they were working there, so I just followed them around and yeah. had no other choice. But ultimately, <laughs> what I enjoy the most about that region is the fact that they are open-minded. They're open to innovation. Mm-hmm. They're open yeah. to different cultures. They don't have any like sort of second thoughts on new innovations. And like they're ready to bet on risky technology as well. And which ultimately, yeah. I mean, sometimes it fails. Sometimes it succeeds. But usually when it succeeds, it succeeds yeah. in a big fashion. And so, yeah, that's really what I enjoy about that region. And so when you came out of university, like what was your thoughts about where you're going to be working, what industry you're going to be working on? I'm not, I don't know that at the time you had any thoughts of vertical farming. Well, I graduated in a bizarre era because I graduated during the pandemic. 
So yeah, wow. Even during the, I've heard of vertical farming before, but it was, it was just some random news documentary that I've seen on YouTube or some random news channel. So nothing special. But in my last year of uni, I had sort of work to be done, where I had to look into. It was a module for supply chain. I had to look at one industry's supply chain. And I decided to look into agriculture, and obviously, I saw the problems that were before the pandemic. And little by little, I've looked also into, well, the potential solutions that were brought, because obviously, when you figure out the problems, well, what is the solution that you're going to bring? And little by little, I've came across vertical farming, start looking deeper into it. This is where I met Herbert Kligerman, who is the founder of Agro News. And then a year has gone past, where I had different experiences working in finance mainly, so nothing to do with agriculture. But I just got bored of it. I got bored of like working with numbers and things like this, <laughs> and I decided to work in. Something that ultimately impacts everyone, regardless of who we are, regardless of our background, and that's agriculture. And so, uh, yeah, ever since here we are. <laughs> Talk a little bit about the first time you got connected with, or how you started that conversation with Herb. It was mainly like questions that I had for my work, so nothing too okay. serious. I was just asking, like. All right, what are the companies that I can contact, whether it be in England or whether it be in Europe, some of the recent news discussing some of these things. And then that was pretty much it. Like there was no serious contact. There was no like, oh yeah, let's get together and launch a real media and so on. Like launch the Agro News platform. Yeah, and then a year has gone through and I randomly, well, he messaged me, I think. And then we had a nice chat, and then we started working together, working to improve, whether it be the websites, the looks, the type of news as well that we were to share, or, and yeah, that's how everything started. Did you know what you were getting into in terms of like <laughs> the ongoing responsibilities and how much work it would be involved to to keep this going and growing it? No, I was. Expecting some degree of work, some degree of like, perhaps complexity, but not as what happened. And but I'm, I like risks. You know, ultimately, when you go out of uni, you start working, and it's kind of your first experience, and you end up managing a news platform. It's always a risk, but I enjoy taking risk. I think that you don't grow without. Taking some risks at some point in your life, so yeah. yeah, yeah. What was your childhood like? Is if we were to look back, would we see examples of you know pointing back and like, oh yeah, there's he took risks there. So now that we see that what he's doing now, we're probably not too surprising. Well, one of the examples is when I decided to go at U in England to study, because at the time okay. I wasn't absolutely not fluent in English. Like my English was. Yeah. Like the typical stereotypical French dude that was mumbling a couple of words, and it was a country okay. where I had no relatives, no friends, nothing. So it was completely new for me, and I was seventeen at the time. And yeah, I mean, it was a risk, but yeah, that's one of the examples where I decided I'd rather take the risk than just living in comfort. <laughs> Yeah, there's something to be said for pushing yourself out of your comfort zone because I think what happens is you demonstrate and prove to yourself what you prove to yourself what you're capable of, and I think a lot of times we're capable of more than we think. And when we put ourselves in those situations, you know, we're pleasantly surprised that we can actually get the things done that might have seen that, that's something that was a big hill to climb. So now that how many months or how much time has it been since you've taken over the main responsibilities for Igro? In August, it's gonna be two years. In August, well, time flies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> time does fly. 
So as you think about what you were getting into when you started, what have been some of the ups and downs, some of the challenges of reporting on the things that have been happening in the industry? There's no shortage of news, obviously, some of it good, some of it not so good, but also, you know, how do you think about your role in terms of telling the stories of what's happening in the space and what have been some of the, the challenges for you and for iGrow? Ultimately, it's finding data. This industry is very nascent, so there's very little information compared to other industries. I mean, like an industry like finance, for instance, you pick any news, I can guarantee you, you can write a whole book on that. Vertical farming, it's different and because it's so novel and because it's so different from what has been in place since ever. I think that one of the main challenges was to find credible data, reliable information that can be proven, and also connecting the news. Like when I write an article, what I enjoy to do is connecting the dots, like writing an article on a company that raised X amount of dollars or a company that partners with another company. Okay, I mean, it gives you one information, but that's pretty much it. Like, what is the background? Okay, like, what market are they expanding in? Why is that? And like, linking to other events as well that may have a cause or an effect leading to this partnership. And that ultimately, this investigative approach and analytical approach is something that I want to have at Agro News. And another challenge that, in my opinion, affects everyone in the news industry is just being unbiased. When you look at mainstream yeah. media, when you look at even other media source, usually there is some sense of it being biased. And that is problematic because ultimately what you want is to give the information, give the complete picture, and then leave the reader essentially make his own opinion on, on the matter. And I think that way too often, a lot of news source and a lot of news outlets, they're kind of influencing in the opinion that people will have on a particular subject. And that's why you pick a random topic, you go on Fox News, you're going to have one opinion, you go on CNN, you're going to have another, you're going on um, ABC or whatever, you're going to have another. And that's problematic. Where did you learn that approach? Is that just from reading the news yourself or is that something you picked up in university or, or during your studies about, or in terms of your investigation, in terms of how to best present unbiased news? Kind of both, I would say. Obviously at university, one of the main criteria that was considered was critical analysis. So that obviously influenced in my work that I do today and has a role to play. And also, it's just like who I am. I like reading news. I like, I'm a curious guy. I don't take anything for granted. I like to view things in other perspectives and I like to uncover other perspectives. And yeah, that's just how everything happens. It seems like you have this interest in investigating and getting to the root of the story and yeah. i've seen some of your in-depth coverage as well so for the folks who may not know i grow can you talk a little bit about what the current model is how you've organized the newsletter and the different issues that you put out and then what's covered yeah sure so let's say the main aspect of i grow news is the website where we release news around well, since January, we've decided to expand beyond control and environment agriculture and talk about everything ag tech and agri-food tech, because we think that everything at the end of the day is interrelated. And I cannot get my head around the fact that some companies, they want to have these sorts of continents separated by an ocean of, you know, ignorance and in some degree, ego as well. And so, yeah, that's the main aspect. And then there are other, there are two newsletters that I have on Substack. One focuses on indoor farming, where I do the case studies and where I do the analysis and the in-depth reports. 
And the other one focuses on uh, ag tech, where I talk about everything in agriculture, whether it be plant science, whether it be case studies, ecosystems, investments. It covers it all. How much time goes into putting these together? To be honest, I don't count my hours. <laughs> I just work around the clock. I mean, it takes a lot of time, that's for sure. But ultimately, when you're passionate, you don't count your hours. I mean, it's something that goes naturally and you just vibing, you know. And have you been able to get help now and assistance with the newsletter from other folks and, and building out the team? Yeah, so we've hired interns. And as we're growing and as we're expanding as well, we're going to hire more people that will focus on different aspects, whether it be social media, whether it be the newsletters, whether it be writing the articles as well, or handling the websites. Where do you see the most potential for growth in terms of the organization? In my opinion, like the big growth that we can have would be in data crunching and creating this sort of database because obviously we share a lot of news. Within that news, you have different data points that you can create. When a company announces a funding round, you have the funding amounts, you have the funding stage, you have the investors that participated, you have the location of the company, where they want to scale, you have the names of their board members, and you have all kinds of data points that you can use and leverage. And ultimately, I think that that's where we may, and that's where we will expand in the coming months and years is in creating this sort of database and creating a platform where people can visualize this data in an interactive way. So I think this would be a good chance to dive into what's been happening in the space, because as someone who reports on the news, it's I'm sure you have an opinion on all the things that, that we've talked about. Recently, you've mentioned, I think it was in this week, today's or yesterday's, this concept of saturation in what we're seeing in terms of CEA. So I'm wondering what you're seeing with you know the proliferation of news that you cover. How do you feel when people mention the topic of being of CEA being saturated, you know? What's your take on that? Saturated, it's perhaps in terms of the brands that are created. In the last months or years, you've had a lot of companies that were created and they created brands. So, I mean, you get a whole bunch of them. And when you pick a lettuce, for instance, it's more about fashion now. Like you have different brands. You have this lettuce that comes from this company, this brand, and then... And so it's pretty much saturation in terms of like, okay, at the end of the day, it's a lettuce. It's like, it's not a piece of clothing. It's not a new iPhone. It's not a new, you know, and I think that we're talking about like having too many brands, too many, too many companies that pretty much do the same thing. And at the end of the day, compete with each other. And also with the times and with the fact that there is, a lot of issues in terms of like the cash burn rates of certain companies, they end up eating each other out. So, Also, I think what's interesting is I can see where your point about from a consumer standpoint, it may be hard to differentiate with all these yeah. brands. And obviously, even when you think about shelf space, like if you go to any supermarket, like I go to the supermarket, I'm in Minneapolis, so there's not a lot of indoor farms here, but I do see Revel and they've mm -hmm. taken up, you know, a pretty good portion of the display with the remaining the traditional companies from yeah. salinas but i think there is going to be a challenge in educating people who are new to vertical farming about the benefits and also being able to differentiate because if they just see lettuce and clamshells lettuce and clamshells lettuce and clamshells you know how do you as a company as an indoor farming company demonstrate or show you know, what the difference is and obviously taste is important but i think you know, to your point, it's going to be harder and harder, or there is a hard road ahead. And I think there's a, a lot more education that's going to be involved. And I'm wondering if that's something you think about, not only reporting on what's happening within the industry, but also being a resource for people who are new to indoor farming and also to learn 
and being able to discern in terms of what's a good company, what's a good service, and how to take those first steps into vertical farming. Yeah, and that's why I try to simplify the way and explain it as simply as possible. Because obviously not everyone is aware of what's going on in vertical farms. Not everyone understands LEDs or nutrients or pH or whatever it is. So I try to make it as simple as possible. And at the end of the day, facilitate the understanding of the news so that they understand that there is this company that does this or this company is creating another facility in this region and okay what will it change in your life or will it mean that you're going to have new jobs well yes there's going to be hundreds of jobs created there's going to be more investments in your state you're going to have access to fresh and local produce and it's in most cases is going to be tastier than what you're used to especially if it traveled thousands of kilometers or miles depending on where you are. So yeah, that's the sort of actions I take in order to facilitate the understanding. Something that you've talked about recently is the increase in activity that's happening in Virginia. So can you talk a little bit about why that was a recent deep dive for you and and what you're seeing there? Yeah, I mean, we've picked up a number of companies that launched projects, that raised funds, that acquired other companies. The fact also that the governor of the state introduced this CEA month as well. The fact that there's been some new grants. Again, you add all these data points together and you get this sort of heat map where you see that, for instance, Virginia, well, it's getting perhaps, it's not red hot, but it's getting hotter and hotter as time goes by and as more news accumulates coming from that state in particular. Are you seeing other regions in terms, if you think of it as a heat map that are similar to what's happening in Virginia or where there's increasing activity? Regions in the United States or in the world? Yeah, region actually in the US, but also, yeah, abroad. In the US, we've seen a wealth of activity in Pennsylvania, so Virginia as well. We've seen some in Texas and then in, to some degree, in Washington state, so near Seattle and so on, in Nevada as well. And in terms of other countries, I mean, we're seeing a lot of activity coming from the Middle East. As you may have seen in the recent weeks, we've seen some degree of activity coming from Asia and the Pacific Islands and Japan as well, South Korea, India as well. It's a country that We don't talk a lot about, but there are some activity going there. And also new countries that are starting to emerging. I mean, we hear a lot more about Mongolia. We hear a lot about Kazakhstan, countries in Central Asia where no one talks about. But there is immense need because Mm. for, I don't know, perhaps eight months a year, it's like minus 20 degrees outside. So (laughs) you can't grow anything. They have to import all their produce, so they need to find new ways of producing. And yeah, that's the sort of countries and regions where we see a fair amount of activity. Do you see certain companies recognizing those opportunities and those patterns and looking to maybe start to establish a foothold there? Or do you see companies that are coming up that are homegrown, like companies from India that are seeing the opportunities and are starting something there? Is it both? Is it a combination? What are you seeing from your end? It depends on the country. In India, it's pretty much more from the country. Like it's local companies that are creating their vertical farming or indoor farming business or greenhouse business. And that's understandable. I mean, they have all the resources, the knowledge, the raw materials to create and to be self-sufficient. And in terms of other countries, it depends. There's a blend of both. We're seeing some companies that are trying to expand in uh, like companies from the US or from Europe that are expanding in new markets. Sometimes I would argue that they are 
It's not necessarily the wrong markets, but perhaps they're maybe taking a lot of risks expanding this quickly and this with such a scale. And yeah, I mean, ultimately certain companies, like when I see certain companies expanding and going in new markets, whether it be with establishing facilities, partnering with local companies, it feels like they're like, I mean, it's, it's a weird way to put it, but they feel like vultures trying to scavenge on the remainings of dead meat. Yeah. And so maybe it may not be the right solution because sometimes they're expanding because they want to save their business and they think that they're going to save their business, which in most cases they won't be able to because it takes a lot of investments and a lot of capital to expand in new markets, especially if you have a completely new technology like vertical farms. And so, yeah. So speaking of moving too fast, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the recent closures that we're seeing <laughs> and that you've been reporting on in iGrow. So there's been a couple that have been high profile. So I'm curious, you know, what your take is, what you're seeing as you put these stories together in terms of, you know, do you see a, a common thread with these closures or do you see, you know, each one has got its own story? I'm curious what your perspective is on those. It's pretty much the same background every time. It's always companies that have raised millions of dollars that have a model that is just capital intensive. They burn through cash at a faster rate than central banks, you know? <laughs> and yeah, I mean, their whole model is based on like investing, raising funds, investing, raising funds, investing, raising funds. And, you know, ultimately, if you're a business, you got to ask yourself, at what point do you become profitable? And in most cases, that's perhaps a question that they haven't asked themselves. Is that something you see from reporting? Is that something you can maybe not publicly, but, you know, privately or with the team start to predict, you know, when you start to see behaviors or you start to see actions by certain right. companies, are there signs from your perspective that they're headed down the wrong path. Oh yeah. I mean, usually when the one particular sign that we've seen in recent months and recent weeks is when they try to raise funds at extremely close intervals. So perhaps they will, they will announce a series D and a series E within three months or within six months. That's the first mm -hmm. sign of like, okay, okay, you're burning through cash. Now, they may have like a new project, they may have an occasion, they may be able to convince investors and so on. But at the same time, you know, it's a first sign of, yeah, you sense trouble. Then obviously, when you start seeing people on LinkedIn from these companies saying, hey, I'm looking for a new job, that's also a new, another sign of like, okay. That's not a good sign. <laughs> Something's definitely going wrong with them. Then also when you look at like market trends, I mean, when you look at like investors pouring less money in general, not just in CEA, but in general, when you see investors or when you see interest rates being hiked at such a high speed, obviously at some point you can expect that, yeah, these companies that are capital intensive, they may either slow down or if it's a hard landing, it's they go bankrupt, essentially. I'm wondering what you also, the other thing that I've noticed is also that you're reporting on the stock prices of a lot of the publicly traded companies. And do you see any correlation between the companies that have a dependency on performing for their shareholders versus the privately held companies? Is there a distinction between the two? Ultimately, I mean, there is in general a distinction between the two, but perhaps it's not really seen in vertical farms since it's such a nascent industry and most of the companies have less than 10 years. So they don't even have like a, they don't have a history compared to other companies. And like ultimately what we can see in terms of like, it's the fact that when they get public, as they're young companies, they're like, risky bets essentially for investors whether it be stockholders or 
institutional investors. And so they obviously try to reassure. So they do a lot of marketing. They do a lot of communication around the fact that, yeah, they're signing deals with this company and that company and that company and so on and so forth. And like, yeah, that's the sort of behavior that we see with publicly traded companies in this market. Shifting gears a little bit in terms of the opportunities in this space, you report a lot about uh, some of the new technologies. There was a company you talked about recently that's working with plasma gas, I think, to increase the yields. Where else are you seeing innovation happening in the space in terms of new tech or new approaches or new designs or anything that's new in the space for the purposes of increasing yields or increasing productivity in the space? Well, definitely AI and automation yeah, and course. robotics. I mean, that's pretty much the main news in recent weeks. AI has definitely a lot of implications for vertical farming or for CEA because it enables a lot of new things to be done. It facilitates some work. But again, I mean, it needs to be used proportionally. If you use AI or automation for the sake of using automation, it's not going to yield any results for you. And so, yeah, companies and growers, they need to be aware of like, okay, does it make sense? I'm going to invest in a robotic arm, but does it make sense? Why would I invest in a robotic arm? I don't have the production for it. The return on investment is in like 30 years. Why would I invest in this? You know, other than this, I think like plant science is definitely something where there's a lot going on, whether it be with this technology that you mentioned using plasma to protect seeds, to treat seeds so that they grow in better conditions and at the end of the day, increase your productivity, whether it be plant breeders that tailor seeds specifically for vertical farms or CEA or a wealth of other technologies and innovations that are used to protect the plants from infections, to increase the growth rate of certain plants. So yeah, these two particular segments are, there's a lot going on. But I think that, again, like I like to think of innovation in general, not just in terms of technology. I think that a lot of people think of yeah innovations just in terms of technology but at some point there will be a sort of plateau because that's just the way it is you know you look at your smartphone i mean for the past 10 years it hasn't evolved a lot (laughs) but innovation can come also in the way you work and the way you manufacture your equipment and the way you source your equipment And that, I think, is an area where not a lot of companies focus on, but they should, because ultimately it saves Mm -hmm. cash and it increases your production. So it decreases your costs as well. And at the end of the day, it, it increases your reach because you can afford to lower your prices as you scale. Given the perspective you have and the input of information in companies, and happenings in the space. Where are you seeing the most innovation happening right now? In terms of country or in terms of? Just in terms of the industry, you know, is it on the technology side? Is it in the crops? Is it in, you know, the science that you mentioned? I'm curious just what your thoughts are, or what you're seeing. Technology and crops. So yeah, as I mentioned, yeah. everything related to AI, robotics, plant science, regarding crops, crop protection, nutrition, This is where we're seeing a lot of activity to some degree as well, the softwares as well, whether it be Mm. to control the farms and so on, but it kind of like slowed down in recent weeks. And yeah, that's sort of where we see the innovation these days. Okay. When you think about the work you have cut out for you at iGrow and the plans for how you're looking to grow. What's a a tough question that you've had to ask yourself recently? That's a tough question. Well, whether to expand beyond vertical farming and to talk about other things related to agriculture in general, 
obviously some people may think that vertical farming is vertical farming and if you talk about vertical farming you should only focus on this i don't think so i think that at the end of the day agriculture should be an ecosystem where every technology and every segment whether it is ca whether it is food tech whatever it is there needs to be some communication because at some point there may be some synergies that can be found Plant science is a perfect example. I mean, the innovation hasn't started because of vertical farms. It started since hundreds of years ago. But we use and Mm -hmm. vertical farms leverage the innovation that plant science companies have and are making on a day-to-day basis in order to enhance their production, in order to enhance their crops. And I think that... In the future, people will need to think of agriculture as an ecosystem and not like these mm-hmm. sorts of continents separated and where there's no communication, there's nothing going on in between, and no one wants to talk to each other because of this or because of their <laughs> ideology or whatever it is. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. In terms of visibility for yourself and for iGrow, do you have any plans to start making it out to some of the conferences? Yeah. So I will be attending a conference in Poland at the end of May, Food Tech Congress. I will be attending also the Indoor Ag Tech Summit in New York. And I'll be there. Yeah, we'll get to meet. Oh. Great. <laughs> and I plan on going to Dubai once again in October. Okay. Well, nothing is confirmed yet. That's just a plan. Yeah. Well, having started to branch out into attending these events in person, it's definitely a different energy and it gets you excited about the opportunities that are there. You know, you start to see all the companies that are in the space, even Indoor AgCon. I went last year, it doubled in size this year, and that was the 10th anniversary of the show. So it's interesting to see all the new players in the space. And I'm sure for you, just <laughs> probably makes your head spin to think about all the companies to cover and all the topics to cover. So usually I come back with these conferences with more interviews and you're probably going to come back from these conferences with just more stories to report on, which I think is going to give you, yeah. keep you busy for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so as you think about the future of what's possible and your experience in this space, covering it for the past year and a half, If you had to think about what has you most excited about the potential or what you see as exciting developments in the space, what comes to mind for you? Well, put it simply, it's just the potential that vertical farms and CA in general, not just vertical farms, CA in general, has to touch billions of lives. I mean, yes, in some cases, people may argue, yeah, but we need to find staple crops. We need to find you know, ways to produce wheat or cereals or different crops like this. But at the end of the day, if you can produce leafy greens, aromatics, flowers, whether it be for edible flowers or ornamental or cosmetics or pharmaceutical, you're going to impact billions of people no matter what. And you may as well save a lot of agricultural land that can be repurposed into becoming forests, into allowing other forms of agriculture. And that's where the ecosystem thing is important. It could allow, for instance, more cereal farms to become completely organic. It may allow for more regenerative agriculture. And yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, even if, uh, the main criticism that I hear about CEA is that it's only leafy greens, tomatoes and aromatics and a couple of flowers here and there. If you look at the global market and your total addressable market, that's already more than, that's trillions of dollars uh, for yeah. market value. Yeah. Because you're talking about the cosmetic industry, you're talking about the pharmaceutical industry, you're talking about all these industries that, at the end of the day, face problems and they have problems to solve. And so, yeah, that's really exciting about the CEA industry. 
Yeah, and I think that's what excites me more and it gets me excited to have these conversations because the more you dig into the space and the more you look into it and you, you know, I started with my interest in vertical farmings and, you know, learning about container farms and some of these bigger spaces. But then when you see the possibilities and the fact that it's so early and there's so many folks, there's people making mistakes and then companies closing, but there's also companies, you know, figuring out good business models, figuring out, you know, the cost and managing their expenses wisely and going into spaces, you know, just from a CEA perspective, I think Little Leaf Farms just announced that they're expected to generate, I think it was a hundred million dollars in revenue mm -hmm. <laughs> in terms of output. And so you see a lot of stories, especially from the greenhouse space, because that's been, you know, a more established industry. And, and I think a lot of folks from that space are coming into vertical farms specifically. And there's, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. There's going to be probably more partnerships, more hybrid opportunities as well. So I think, you know, just echoing what you said, we really are in early days. And I think people need to remember that and just to kind of take all these stories with a grain of salt and just figure out, you know, where the opportunities are. And, and I think it's an exciting time to be in the space and I appreciate the work you're doing. And I know coming into the space as a newcomer is something that's, you know, presents its own set of challenges, but I get the sense that it's something that you've become really passionate about and are excited to talk about on, on a day-to-day -day basis. Oh yeah, definitely. So for folks that want to connect with you, it's igrow.news. Anywhere else you want to send folks to connect with you and learn more? Well, the URL is igrownews.com, but otherwise okay. we're present on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's igrownews. And yeah, for now, that's the platforms that we're using. And we're also present on Substack. Obviously, I got the Indoor Vertical Farming newsletter and the AgTech News. So these are two newsletters yeah. where I just talk about all these subjects that we've just covered right now. And so, yeah. Okay. We'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing a bit of your story with us today, Seth. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Harry. It was a pleasure. Thanks again to Sepper for coming on the show and sharing his truly inspiring story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Thanks again to our Season 8 title sponsor, Cultivated. We love you. If you're looking into a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com, and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production marketing provided by Fullcast. If you're interested in learning how a podcast can be beneficial for your company, your brand, or yourself, learn more at fullcast.co. One more reminder, if you're enjoying this episode, if you enjoyed past episodes, please leave me a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Yes, I'll read it out on a future episode. I promise. Stay tuned for the kickoff of season nine. We're working through the order of the episodes, lining up sponsorships. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we still have availability for sponsorship for season nine. Harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. If that would be a fit for your marketing plan, nothing would please me more than to partner with you for this upcoming season. Stay tuned, promote the show to as many people in the space as you can. And until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published.